Hey there, it's Lisa from the Culinary Chronicles podcast. On this show, I will interview people from all walks of life about their food experiences of culinary journeys. Food, feeding my loved ones, sharing meals, and the conversations and love that fill the table are what this podcast is all about. My father was a butcher, my uncle a baker, and my grandmother's after-school snacks were always a delightful Sicilian treat. I've always celebrated with food and found gathering around a table the most amazing feeling in the world. Culinary Chronicles is my way of sharing this love of food with you. I hope this podcast fills your cup with entertaining tales about the love of food. Okay, so we should give some context to people listening because we just jumped right in. So, oh, sorry. I forgot. Oh, this is recording. I just thought I'd record because it's so much fun. Okay, so maybe, maybe give some context to who we're talking about. First of all, we're talking with Tiffany Pratt. Okay, now we can go. So first, before we start talking about the glorious Roy, I just want to thank you for doing this. I want to thank you for having me, making the time, being interested to chat with me. You're such a delight, a light, a joy. And also what you do for a living and feeding people and helping people celebrate and understand how to be in the kitchen. It's such a gift. So thank you. Okay, wait, because you are the reason like people like you make me inspired and color and like so you are such an inspiration to me so like this is gonna be a love fest like I love you so much all the work you do all the color like I love pink obviously like if I could color my whole house pink I would do it tomorrow which almost everything is pink but you like your career your your energy even your email I was like your email is so cool like Everything you do, like date Lazy Daisies, your community, like all the stuff you've done on television, you just always bring so much joy to so many people. You're such an inspiration for women and the industry of art and design and construction and television. So, yeah, I just want to thank you for taking time to like speak to me. And and then, yeah, we should tell people about Roy. Okay. So Lisa and I live in the beach. (laughs) Toronto. So context is it's a small community in a big city that you you know you drive 15 20 minutes east of proper toronto and you are in your little beach pocket which is a small little street queen street everything runs off of it north and south and when you live in the beach for as long as i've been here for 15 years i don't know how long you've been here but they start so not as long to know your local people you start to get to know your local and the strange ones stick out and I'm sure I'm one of the strangers for some of the peoples. No. But Roy is an older man who has leathery brown tan skin. And he has an epic, like, blondy gray ponytail. He wears, like, Nirvana-style female sunglasses. He has an electric, almost faded green bike with baskets in the front and the back. They're rigged like crazy with zip ties. He has this calm presence about him. He seems like he has nowhere else to be and nothing else to do but just be here right now. And that's a wonderful vibration to put out into the world. Okay, where do we leave off? Roy. Okay, Roy lives in the beaches. He has a ritual. He has a beach ritual. I live down by the lake, so I see his beach ritual. And many, many years ago, I decided that every single time I saw Roy, I had a great day. And so I started calling it him my lucky rabbit so that if I was leaving the beach in my car and I would see Roy on his bicycle or down by the beach, I would know in my heart I was going to have the best day. So so one day, about three years ago, I saw him on the beach and I 
like got I had Poppy, my wiener dog, with me, and I had enough courage to finally go up to him and say, "My name is Tiffany. I've no I've seen you for so long, and I just wanted to tell you that every time I see you, I have the best day. So I call you my lucky rabbit. And what is your name? I just want to know who you are. And he said, "My name is Roy." And my and I said it's a great name. And he goes, I love it because the first three letters are the first three colors of the rainbow. And when he said that, I was like, and now I want to marry you. And Did I'm obsessed. You just he just he, die inside. Yeah. And I I actually oh, gave him my, my business God. card. And I was like, if you'll ever have tea with me, if you ever have any time, please call me. Of course he didn't. He's an older man. He's got other things going on. I'm sure I scared the living shit out of him. He's like, guess for me today. No, I just, but he's, yeah. I feel like he probably wouldn't have coffee because he's like a loner. He's always by himself riding his bike and like. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And oh. I, I think he's, he's a man of his own ideas. He runs his life his way. Even the way he's got his bike put together, the things he wears, he seems like a person who doesn't need to have a lot of things. Yeah. And, you know, is very mindful of his impact. And I don't know. I just love him. I, I get every good feeling in the world from that man. So, so he, he yeah, and he lives right here. I could see his house from my kitchen window. And my neighbor Arlene, three doors down, always would we'd have, we'd have Roy spotting. So then when I found out about your Roy spottings, we have this trio of Roy love. So we're going to have to have tea with Arlene and Roy and yourself. But Arlene just moved to Venice Beach in California, which... He belongs. I always think he belongs in Venice Beach riding that beautiful. What what are those bikes called? Those old school like. It's like a beach cruiser. Yeah. Cruiser. That's it. He's like and wide he's handles. Good. It's long, big, chunky tires, big basket. Like it's built for comfort, not for speed. You know, like he's just puttering around the beach with his. Uh, and he's running errands. And here's the other crazy part. If you've seen him out when he's not in his beach gear, he's a very dapper dresser and he walks with a cane. Oh, I've never seen him other than on his bike. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. He's a cane to walk. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Okay. I saw him at Chopper's Drug Bar one time and I was just like beside myself. I was beside oh myself. Oh my gosh. I wish Arlene were here. I wish she would be dying. We both have this passion for Roy. Okay. We love Roy. We love I'm, Roy. And I'm I love you. And I know that's all covered. And I also want to say I came to discover you. When I was working with Pusateris all those many years ago. Yes. You and did that I, beautiful wallpaper. No, wrapping paper and cake. Yep. Yep. And your cake, I bought that cake because it went perfectly with the decor and the design that I'd put for their holiday that year. And uh, I bought the cake very specifically for my team that was working because we all needed a sweet treat. And additionally, when I brought it for them, I looked at it. And I was like, oh, my God, this is a picture. This is so pretty. So that's how we sort of peripherally met was um, yes. doing I that. think I may have like excitedly took a picture with you and the cake quickly because it was such a crazy launch party and it was a busy night and you were busy that and people were af- pulling you. That was after I had taken a picture of your cake. Oh, okay. Because remember the night there was a night, there was like, a PR yes. night and I was like, yep. you're cheap. Yep. Yeah. No, we didn't see each other then officially and I got to meet you in person, but unofficially i had already started to buy your wear and and you know be a part of what it is you're doing so and you've been doing this for so long like seriously you've been hustling it's been a long hustle especially through covid we 
we've come out of it. Well, we're coming out of it. So yeah, it's been it's been great. And thank you for your support and like to all the people that we've worked with over the years. We've just had such a good community around us and even the beaches I found my employees through like the beaches Facebook group, which is crazy. Like two of my best employees, I was like, anybody know someone? And you know, in context, my business is on the other side of the city city, but I found my two favorite employee, not favorite, but my two best, not my best. How do I say this? Two amazing employees. <laughs> You're like, I'm gonna call a favorite. You're public. So yes. So tell me, tell like I know everything about you because I'm like enamored with all your work. And I was like, did she was she born into a colorful family? Did you come out of the womb with pink hair? Like, how did you become Tiffany? Like Tiffany. Every time I just think of you, color, I see color. And I've never seen you in the beach, but we do have to get onto this pickleball thing. And I yeah, saw the woman last I saw the woman last week. I gave her my number, but she didn't add me to the WhatsApp group. Um, which girl did you see, Margaret? Sarah or something. Anyway, we can talk about that offline. Okay, we'll talk about pickleball. I'll I'll give you the four one one on pickleball offline. Okay. okay. Um, I'm gonna make a note to do that. Look at me, I'm such a nerd. I have to write everything down. <laughs> so, how down. often are you playing pickleball? Um, I haven't been playing this month because it's been a little bit busy. I'm just writing Lisa pickleball. And cold. Um, Those ladies say they play in the cold. I'm like, you're nuts. I'm not playing you. in the cold. Okay. The problem. Um, I met. The woman who basically has spearheaded putting pickleball on, you know, the um, the rink that's down yeah. by the lake. Yeah, that's where I saw them playing. Yes. So she has spearheaded getting pickleball lines put into the rink when the rink isn't being used in the summertime. Yes. And I met her. We have mutual friends. Okay. And um, when I met her the very first thing, she said, you're a pickleballer. And I was like, what are you talking about? I and she was like just like, really look, you're going to be an amazing pickleball player. Um, and so she just kept hounding me until I went out and her crew, like they're all in their late sixties and seventies. So yeah. I'm playing pickle with the retirees and it is my absolute joy in my life. And I show up and I'm not like, I don't love wearing athletic wear. It's not my happy place. So I wear a sports bra, pajamas with running shoes. And like, this is how I show up and they're wondering who is this nut bar they're like, oh, like, here she comes. Here she comes. That young lady. Yeah. I get a little profane, you know, when I miss my shots. And um, they've, they've, they've accepted me okay. and their crew. But now I've got some other locations that we can play. Okay, yeah. Um, I heard uh, indoor, indoor Birchmount. So I'm waiting for Birchmount. I call Birchmount. Birchmount is beautiful because you can take Birchmount all the way up to Unionville, which is beautiful, where my yes. best friend lives. And you don't have to get yeah. on the highway and have stress. You just go on this nice... They have it at uh, twelve thirty to two thirty every Tuesday and Friday at Birchmount. For, oh, okay. Uh, see, I need to know this. Okay. Up. Yeah, I'll, we'll, we'll okay. talk about this all. Okay, floor. okay, okay. We'll take pictures. We'll add to the show notes a picture of us playing pickleball. Oh my god! Imagine you're gonna pick, because I actually put Margaret, who's the woman who got me into pickleball, I paint Margaret on my pickleball racket. Margaret for president. So. You're going to see my painted up pickleball racket and um, okay. I wear costumes when I play. Oh, my God. I can't wait. OK. Yeah, because they're like, we play every Tuesday at night, 830 to 9. I was like, perfect. I could drop my son off and come to the rink and play. But then well, they're well, like, did you tell them you know me that we're friends? No, I didn't because it was quick. They were playing. It was freezing. And then I said, but are you going to play next week when it's snowing? They're like, yes. I'm like, OK, I'll just wait till you go indoors. <laughs> I picked out. They got kicked out. So now they oh, have to go. Okay, good. They have to play indoors. Okay. okay. 
Okay. So, so your so previous, yeah. to yes. your previous question, did you come um, out like in a colorful like tiara and like scarves and like a, a fedora and like some like caftan? Was your mom like, here's my 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 baby and like this vintage? My hair was my hair was um, electric <laughs> orc. My father's a redhead. So my mom was, um, I think she was devastated that I was a redhead for some reason. So I came out with like, you know, apricot hair. And and I have been told since I was little, like, oh, my mom says I've been an idea minute. I've always had lots of ideas. Every minute. And I always love telling this story that when I was three, I think I was like three or four, I was already designing how I wanted to look and what I wanted to wear. So I said to my mom, I think I was literally three or four, and I was like, Mom, I need long, white, walking shorts. This is how I describe it. Because I'm going to play cricket after I have my breakfast. You know, she had to, like, basically tear those things off of me. I wore the snot out of them. So I was already, like, custom designing my own clothes at a young child age. But more than anything, what people don't seem to believe about me is that in the early stages of my life I was very quiet and my mom talks about how quiet I was and I think when I look back I often think of the quote or the phrase that people have used which is is the artist the observer or is the observer the artist and in order to you know really as a creative person I think what we're doing constantly is observing and synthesizing the world around us. And I think my little self was, was quiet and taking it in and synthesizing, learning and creating. And so as I got older and I figured out who I was, I was confident in my choices, even at a young age, because I really had an understanding. Like even in public school, I wore crazy hats and you know wanted did my makeup in public school and was always into embellishments and playing with my clothes and it's always just been a language I've spoken and it never felt like it was there was a time when I wasn't this way so um swing back 15 years ago I started to teach kids art and it was totally by chance but in that experience in my life I understand that we're all in this world. We show up intact. We show up completely as we are. And as we get older, it's almost like we get to, we get further away from the pure being that we were when we arrived. And so, um, and I noticed that quite a bit when I was teaching children as parents would say, oh, this, oh, that, oh, this. And I would say, you know what? They know exactly what they need to do. And I trust them and we're going to have a great time. And so, um, that's how I feel is that my little self, somehow through my life, I've always been able to sort of hold on to my little self and remember the things that have always brought me joy. And I always wanted to be a part of those things that brought me joy because then I would feel that if I was joyful, then I could bring joy to others as well. That's just perfection. I, I have a question about school because I'm researching alternative school options for my son. Did you find school restrictive for you because you were such a creative or did you find like 
there's so many things that I'm reading that's like kids are not supposed to sit in their desk for so long. They should be out playing and exploring. And, and we have this nature school in our neighborhood, which is magical. Love. Like, did you find that as a kid, you were like so creative, but you had to then like do math for an hour and, and do this? And were you just always doodling or did you find public school so boring or unchallenging I was... for your creative mind? I think... I don't know how you were when you were a kid and how the school system was for you. But when I went to school, I went to school in a small town and I felt like the teachers were really dialed in. Um, when I look back, I can feel that my teachers were dialed in. And that means that certainly there was a curriculum. Certainly I had to do things that weren't always my strong suit like math. But I'm the type of person that really loves systems, schedules and structures. Um, and then I like to color outside of those lines. So it's this okay. very interesting way that I like to be, which is like, here's the system and the structure. And then the other part of me goes, okay, and now how can I make it mine? Okay. It's almost, here's a garment. How can I make it mine? Or here's a space. Now how can I make it mine? Um, and that's sort of how I've always operated with school was even if it was something I didn't love, I really wanted to try to get good at it. And I would do after school lessons and mostly math because I had a really hard time with it. And I did tutoring and math in high school. But for the rest of it, my teachers were phenomenal. Amazing. They were always supporting, you know, seeing me before I even saw me. Ugh. Supporting me to be the thing I was before I even knew what I was. But even in public school, I, I was the president of my public school. I was the president of my high school. Um, so I've always had that, like, side hustle academic part of myself yeah. that loves to learn, loves to learn new things. But equally, I was the president of the school, but a different president with a nose ring that spent tons of time in the art room. So, and I was grateful because generally, you know, a president of a school is a little bit more mainstream. And my high school really saw that I was a, a thought leader and I wanted to do things different. And so I've always felt like I've had to believe in myself the thing I could say looking back is that the greatest gift that any human being can give themselves is enough space and time around their quiet contemplation when they're alone to know who they are so that when you go out into the world, there's a sort of ease and a peace about you. And when that occurs, people don't question you or challenge you. They just accept you for who you are. Because you have your own inner peace, you know right? Yeah. Yeah. And I think I've always been sort of at peace with the fact that I was different. And I was always at peace with the fact that I knew I wasn't going to fit in with everybody. And I wasn't going to be. And you didn't you know, try, right? You never tried to be like no. a normal kid or. No. Yeah. No. I, but I couldn't. <clears throat> yeah. I couldn't. Like I, as much as I would have liked to have been, I, I couldn't. It just, if anyone's listening to this podcast, I think the most important thing I'm trying to get across is that. Every single person in this world is individual and that I think it's so important that each person gets the heart of who they are and really feels love and confidence and grace and peace in that because then with that sort of base, you can do anything. You know, what makes you happy, what you need to feel calm, what you need to feel peace, the rhythms of life that mean something to you. And for me, it was always like, I love going to Valley Village, even from as long as I can remember and modifying clothes and being in the art room and thinking new thoughts and trying new things and 
anyway, the more we explore our inner landscape, the more peaceful we can be on our outer landscape, accept ourselves for who we are, understanding that this is the truth of the being that resides inside of us. And then people just feel that on you. And then they just accept you for who you are because there is no other thing. You're not trying, you're not pretending. People can feel truth. So, um, yeah, I, I think I've always inadvertently known that, that I just needed to be honest with myself and be truthful to that thing. And where did you grow up? Because you should totally give a shout out to your high, high school and school for being so supportive of you. It's in such a different time where, you know, yeah. maybe it wasn't as, yeah. I went to school in Brantford, Ontario, and my high school was Brantford Collegiate Institute. And it was a, a really cool old high school. Lots of students. I think there was like three or 4,000 students. Oh, wow. So it was a pretty big high school. And I just, yeah, I to this day, I just had an art show, actually. And I the art was being shown in a city that was like a half hour outside of where I grew up. And four of my former teachers and my old principal showed up for my art show. Oh. And just seeing them again, like 25 years later, um, and I used to have my art in the front holes of the school. So for them to see that, like, I'm still the person I've always been and to still show up for me and be there, yeah. I was just bawling my eyes out. It was... Well, I love that. And cool old people. But anyways, to say all this to say that I think I just... I've always known I was a little bit different. And I've always known that I wasn't necessarily going to fall into any mainstream category. And I just leaned into it. And the more older I've gotten, the more I just keep leaning. I just keep leaning more. Yes, I love it. And keep leaning more because we need more people like you to be their authentic selves. And I think that's why people gravitate towards you and all the work you do because you are so real. And like, did your parents nurture this? Were they artists? Were they colorful people? Were they super open? And Or were they kind of, you know, stricter... I don't know. Well, I'm curious to know what your parents are like. Are they like, is Roy your dad? Like, is that a man like Roy? Yeah, so my dad, my dad, I only know stories about my dad. He passed when I was seven. And Sorry. my dad was, as far as I have been told, and I know the feeling of my father, but I never really knew him because I was too young. But my dad was just, my mom called him Technicolor. He, he was, when, he arrived in a room, you felt it, you saw him. He was, he never knew a stranger. He loved people, he loved helping. He always was, he had many businesses, he was an entrepreneur. Um, and my stepbrothers and my mom have always said that as long as I'm alive, my father's still here. You are I him, I, yeah. Yeah, she, she said, as long as you're here, so is your father. Um, and my mom is, just as equally technicolor, in my opinion. They were both very, both Leo, and my mom is also hands in everything. Really great cook, very creative, love to always decorate, love to try new things, always like to like try something that no one else would do. One time she just wanted to have her bus driver's license and just learned how to do that and started driving my friends to school to learn and selling real estate and always on something, always learning something, always trying new things, and also very courageous spirit. So to be raised by a courageous single parent, 
as a woman, and I'm a woman, I got to see how my mom really navigated the world on her own with three children and how she she made it happen. And it wasn't easy for her, but she did it her way. And she was, my mom's a legend. My mom's pretty legendary. So I would say that my mom said nothing, but just basically let me do my thing. She never prompted me to join any clubs, never over-programmed me to be anything. She just followed my lead and she did the same with my other two sisters. It was sort of like, what do you want to do? And let's figure out a way to help you do that. Yeah. And that's, I think, a wonderful way to parent. She never forced me to be anything, never forced any direction or academia. Academia. She just wanted me to figure myself, my sisters, like figure out who you are and what you want to be. And I think that's what's really been the foundation to how I live my life because I've had room from my mom to figure it out and, and have that personal authority to make those choices. What an amazing mom. Is she still around? Is she? She's coming next week. My mom lives in the States. She lives in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. American. So growing up with, she stayed in Canada after my father died. So growing up with an, a very American mother in Canada was hilarious. Why? Um, How so? She's just so American. She wears her American, <laughs> she wore her American flag bikini <laughs> with the big eagle over our garage and, you know, loud and large and in charge. And the American way is a little bit different than the Canadian way. Um, so I've always kind of lived in both countries. My mom has friends and family in, in the South. So all my life, I've gone back and forth, which I think has really helped creatively for me to see different things and for those things that I've seen o- over the years influence my work. But with my mom, she's she's flying up for the holidays. So she's going to oh, be nice. staying with me for one month. So listen, Lisa, pray for me. And... Um, if you see me on Queen Street with a wild woman, you'll know that I'm with my mom. I'm going to pull over and be like, <laughs> yeah. yes. So one month. Okay. Are you going to, what are you going to do with your mom? Are you going to craft? Are you going to bake? Are you going to just chill and read? Like, what do you guys do for the holidays? I, I haven't spent the holidays with my mom in a really long time. So I'm going to just take her lead. She loves to bake. She loves to cook. And that's not she'd like to bake let me take that back she just likes to be in the kitchen and experiment that's a better way of putting it with my mom so she's trying to make a cake and it doesn't work out or she's just like she's intuitive with everything she does she loosely follows instructions loosely follows recipes and so and if it doesn't work she'll do something to figure it out my mom it very Can I have tea well. with your mom? Like me and you, we have to have like a tea or a beach walk or something. Your mom sounds so oh, yeah. cool. She'll definitely, uh, she'll definitely blow your mind. She's, okay. So when she comes, she'll want to do a little bit of everything. Since she's retired, she's really gotten into painting and creating and refinishing furniture. Um, and of course, this is my world. So I feel like her and I are having more professional chats lately. And she'll be saying to me, so I want to paint this thing, but I want to put this on top of something that looks like this. And how should I treat the finish? And so we're having it. really cool creative chats these days. She'll help me put up the tree. I'm sure she'll she'll help me do lots of things and it'll be fun and very memorable. So if 
you're interested in learning the baking basics behind making swoon-worthy cakes, I invite you to join our six-week online cake and buttercream course, which can be taken from anywhere in the world. Class starts every other month, and in these classes, you will make new connections and learn new baking and cake decorating skills. With weekly live Zoom meetings with our chefs, you will discuss your progress and your homework, and you will be on the road to becoming the cake decorator you've always dreamt of being. Training from our expert chefs teach you proven foolproof cake basics. This course is broken down into three different parts. Part one, cake. You will learn the science of baking cakes and test on your skills by baking six different recipes. Part two, buttercream. You will dive deep into the wonder of buttercreams testing out the most popular icings. Part three, decorating essentials. You will learn to stack, mask, and comb your cake to perfection. This space is filled with supportive, collaborative interaction and access to a fully immersive learning experience to transform the way you bake. You can find the link to join our classes in the show notes and use podcast 20 for 20% off. I look forward to baking with you. So yeah. what's the difference between Atlanta and Toronto in terms of like culture and art and like vibe? Because I've never been to Atlanta. Is it, are you, Everything. you said you're influenced by US is that, because I feel like Atlanta would have its own Southern charm or... Is that the correct term for Atlanta? Yeah. I mean, it, my sisters and I, we were all born in Florida. So we've had lots of time in Florida. And then um, 20 plus years ago, my mom ended up in Atlanta, which is where her brother and her mom ended oh, up. okay. That's why she was there. My mom, we bounced around a ton. And I think that for creative people, often it's when you get to see and experience different things that you your creative brain has access to lots of different experiences that inform some of the decisions you make but yeah georgia is a totally different world than canada it's like you're not in kansas anymore when you go down there um and it is the south and there's a totally different way of life different rhythm different disposition different food um and i've always been really lucky to have different cultural experiences all my life mm -hmm. so i haven't just only ever known canada when i actually fast-tracked through high school and i moved to australia on my own oh cool and when i was there i was i didn't realize it until now but at the time i was really really devouring the design art culture scene and now I feel like if I didn't have that time in Australia, my design work wouldn't be what it is right now. What part of um, Australia? I lived in Sydney. Okay. I did a lot of touring all around, but I stayed mostly in Sydney, which is, you know, their big city, their big capital city. But after leaving Australia, I came back to the States to stay with my mom and sort of figure out what my game plan was going to be. And my mom has been a flight attendant all of her life. So my mom has always flown and been a free spirit. Nice. So she why don't you become a flight attendant and just start seeing the world? And I thought, if I don't make it through training, then it wasn't meant to be. But if it happens and I make it through, I'll do it. So sure enough, uh, in Atlanta for Delta Airlines, I, made, I got accepted and I made it through training and they based us out of New York City. So my entire uh, class that graduated was sent to New York. And that was a huge dream of mine because I always wanted to live in New York and I wanted to have that experience. And I have, uh, you know, I, I had passports in both countries so I could legally be in New York and live that life. Um, 
It was phenomenal experience. I traveled a ton. I got to go to lots of international cities, being a flight attendant out of New York. But sadly, that time of my life also happened to coincide with 9-11. So when I was a flight attendant during 9-11, it started to take all the joy out of the job. And I understood that it was time for me to make a change. So I was with my then partner, who was an older man who had a house in Connecticut. And I thought, okay, well, what do I want to do with my life? And so I was on a train ride from Queens, where I had an apartment, to his place in Connecticut. And we were making moves for me to start moving in with him. And I met this woman on the train who was a, um, she ran the Fifth Avenue Club, which is the personal shopping department of Saks Fifth Avenue. Oh, wow. And I was with like vintage swing coat and I had my cute little bob and I'm sure I was wearing and a She's like, you are coming to work for me. That's what she said. So that's how my career in fashion began with this woman who saw me on a train and said, do you, you know, what are you doing with your life and what do you want to do and Amazing. would you want to drop? So that's how I've never formally gone to school for anything. I got accepted at FIT, the Fashion Institute of Technology for Textile and Surface Design in New York. I did a couple elective courses in psychology and art history, but I just really, honestly, all I've ever done is just work get opportunities say yes start working and that's what i've done that's how the whole thing has started for so me so i have a question you were styling for Saks fifth avenue but they have such traditional like clothing lines like how did you style and add your flair to it because i feel like those big brands don't have like the stuff that you wear the stuff that you would kind of add to make things pop or work did you find creative well, ways or what I had to do the job was to dress women and to cater to what they wanted and every one of my clients was so different and had totally different taste um and another part of my job was to make sure that everybody looked the best they could so we had a tailoring department which would come in and tailor the clothes so that somebody would maybe pick up a jacket or a pair of pants and it would fit nice, but could have been taken in here or accentuated there. So my job was really to learn the person, their style, help them grow the style into something that they could understand how to mix and match, but additionally, teach women about their bodies and how to fit their clothes. And I sort of had to learn that literally on the fly, early 20s, figuring out the body, tailoring, um, and I, so I had clients of every style. And because the Fifth Avenue Club that I worked in was in Connecticut, we actually got to farm fashion in from New York. So if I had some pretty cutting edge clients, I could call the club in New York and say, hey, do you have any of those Prada shoes or these turtlenecks or whatever? And we would be able to shift fashion between stores. So depending on the client would be depending on the style I would help them build for themselves and in their closet. And I also got to meet lots of new budding designers that Saks would want to support. So we had these awesome trunk shows in the club where you'd see stuff that was sort of just in its, its infancy and clients could come in and get fitted and then wear these very one-of-a-kind cool new cool. things. Oh, so cool. So it was like, for me, that was the beginning of understanding that not necessarily that my style needs to be put on anybody. I have my own style. 
but I love helping people understand what their, their style, style is. Okay, yeah. And then helping them feel confident living, dressing, and being that yeah. in their style. So it's not really, I've learned early that it was never about me. It was always about trying to help facilitate that process with someone else and build their confidence. And then how do you go from stylist in New York to TV show host? Is that someone else on a train? Did you meet another like TV producer? <laughs> I I lived in, I was there, I was in New York and between New York and Connecticut for 10 years and doing so many different jobs. And I had incredible opportunities in hair care and beauty. Um, I, I could go on and on, but my time in Connecticut felt like it was time, it was time for a change. And I moved up to Toronto thinking I would come here for a few years. My sisters are here. So that's what drove me to Toronto. I thought I'll come up and hang out with my sisters for a few years and then I'll plan my next move. Um, and during that time, I opened up my own, of course, I opened up my own business on Queen Street, right down by actually probably where you live. You know where the Starbucks is that's west of Woodbine? Yeah. So my, I had my art studio across the street there. Ooh. And okay. I opened heard studio called glitter pie and jennifer valentine walked in and said i was supposed to do a live eye at a local business and I'm it went belly it up and your studio looks really cool because you fill this place with people in 24 hours and we do a live eye here and i was like okay and i didn't know who jennifer valentine was i didn't own a television i didn't watch tv so what happens is Jennifer Valentine's doing a breakfast television live eye at my studio glitter pie and people in television are watching me do what I do. And I had a couple of television producers call my studio and ask me if I would start to, well, one of them was the producer of the Stephen and Chris show. And they made me a resident DIY expert on their show for two and a half years. Oh so my God, amazing. That's how the TV thing happens. I wasn't pursuing Thank TV. you, Jennifer. Does she live in the beaches? I don't know if she lives in the beaches okay. anymore, but I've told, she knows. She knows that she, she's like, heard I've told many times about it, and I've thanked her a billion times. Is yeah. she uh, even remember? Yeah. That's so cool. And the then. Television, it was sort of like a natural, it just happens. And then once you get in the TV scene, producers will have you do like lots of different um They'll pilot a show. They'll want you to potentially be a part of a pilot. You never know if a pilot of a show is going to go. But my very first show, Buy It, Fix It, Sell It, we did a pilot for that, which was a show about myself and three other men who would go into auction houses, buy goods, transform them, and then sell them to our client. And so that was my first debut on HGTV. And... It has been 10 years since. I've just been on show after show and grateful for it because you just never know on TV when things are going to stop. But it, luckily, it's kept going. So that's the story there. So what are you working on now? Was Project Bake Over your last TV thing or has there been so many since then? Okay. So Project Bake Over, just, uh, we just wrapped it last spring and all the episodes just finished airing in the summer. I don't know if there's going to be a season three, um, but that was a transition for me because I was on HGTV for a long time and Project Bakeover was on the Food Network. And oh, I know okay. that 
it, I don't think it was strange for people, but a lot of of my, I hate to use the word fans, but people that know of my work have known that I've worked on commercial spaces and I've redesigned many restaurants in Toronto so that when the Food Network came to me and said, would you be the lead designer on this show? It would become the person in charge at Chorus knew that I have commercial restaurant redesigning experience. So for me in my design world, redesigning restaurants wasn't wasn't a far cry because it's what I've always done as a part of also my residential practice. But the interesting thing is we didn't know when the show got greenlit that the world was about to go into lockdown. And be and obsessed what, with baking. <laughs> be obsessed with baking, but also need help more than ever. A lot of small businesses that were about to go belly up were certainly not going to make it during the last three years. And so it was a real feel-good show that we ended up doing something while the world was shut down, where we would go into these small businesses and revamp them and revitalize them so that they could stay afloat. And over the course of the two years, we did 20 episodes. So we, I redesigned 20 bakeries. Amazing. Yeah. So it was, it was a great experience. What did you learn about the bakery world? Because it's a whole other beast from my perspective as a bakery owner. What did you learn as an outsider, you know? Um, when I first had my, my first foray into restaurants was when I reimagined, a, I think you might have heard of it, Piano Piano here in Toronto was once a very fancy restaurant and they closed it down to be it was called Splendido. And Splendido was this very expensive tasting menu restaurant and they closed it, same chef, and they wanted to open up something more accessible and Italian and we named it Piano Piano. And they got me in on the ground floor of doing that. And that's when I started to understand the marriage between design and food. And food and design need to work intrinsically. And this sort of, uh, my time in New York actually really helped me because when I lived in New York and I would be going between New York and Connecticut all the time, New York specifically, you could get lost on a side street, be hungry, walk into a restaurant, and have the best meal of your life and the decor could be garbage but you don't care because the food's so amazing and that's part of the allure of new york and then equally you get into a restaurant in new york that is coveted and to get seat is just the greatest thing in the world and the decor is sensational and the food is sensational and you understand in those moments this is why it's popular and this is a sweet spot and so inadvertently in all my times being in New York and all the traveling I've done, I've sort of, you know, filed away in my brain that food and design don't always have to be interconnected. But certainly when they are, it's magical. Elevated. And, and the baking world is even more elevated or magical because it's whimsical and it's celebratory and People who are coming in to buy something that's sweet are doing something either just to treat themselves because they had a long week or they're buying a cake for something special or they want to have an hour to themselves eating this special thing and sitting on their laptop. There's so many ceremonial and special reasons why a beautiful bakery means something. And so what I learned doing it was that the people who open bakeries 
love to cook. They love to bake. They love food. They love to provide. They want to make people feel loved with food. But they don't always have the skill to make the front of house feel the way their food does. So it's that sweet spot again where you have to find the right person to help make the front of the house feel like the food that's being created in the back end. You're 100%. Yeah, no, you're 100% right because some people have the most amazing treats, but then their storefront or their entry is just so old school or weird. And then you're like, if they just had a little bit of like design, like aesthetic or even their business cards or their packaging or their website, they just need some assistance. But yeah, yeah. It, It was when I did Piano Piano, I did everything. I picked every last thing. I designed the logo. I designed the menus. I designed every last Did bit you do that. that beautiful pink painting on the side of the building? I was I was on the forklift with the graffiti artist. Yes. Okay, so I drove by that top-end restaurant for years and years and years. Never really noticed it. I guess only people who were very wealthy would go there. So I never blinked an eye. And then when it switched that piano restaurant, I remember being like, what is this beautiful thing? And I had to Google it. And I, yeah, so that alone, just that painting on the side of that building and the white and the color, like, yeah, just that one thing that you did has been so instrumental to their, like, I think their success because it's like, it's the the beauty of going into that building now. Well, I think like the H.R. Hollywood story of that is the chef was scared out of his mind. He had business partners. And when I proposed that we paint the exterior a very pale, fairy pink, and graffiti roses all over the place, I, I have the original watercolor drawing that I had <laughs> done of the pot. And I was like, this is what I want to do. And I, he was excited and scared. Yeah. Because at that time, doing big, crazy things like that, attention-getting things, it was not what everyone else was doing. And... And I think Splendido was just like chefs, white male chefs, white tablecloth, very serious business lunches, yes. really expensive. It was very like the formula of a really, you know, high end, serious 100%. kind of, yeah. It was. It was serious. There was valet parking. I mean, it was, it was a, it was a serious restaurant. I remember they were selling off the fixtures right before we started construction and a bunch of people came in. And this one person who was a big foodie, I think that they're a reviewer in the city. And they looked at me, oh, so you're the designer in the space? And I said, yeah, I don't know what you're going to do next, but good luck, lady. Because it was basically, <laughs> you could F this up and you're going to destroy, you're going to potentially be the reason why a Toronto institution was destroyed. <laughs> um, and so Have I you seen I that had- person since to be like, look at this, honey. <laughs> but I think... It's it's actually an important message, which is that, again, you have to trust your instincts and you have to trust your style and you have to trust your judgment and you have to believe in your vision. And as a creative person, you know, that's I had to stay steadfast in my vision for this place so that when the chef was freaking out and partners, everyone was freaking out. It's a very emotional thing to yeah, change oh, a yeah. business. Um, steadfast that this was going to be successful and this was going to be a thing. And it was, and it still is. And it and is, now yeah. Four locations that all have the same yes, everything. I love started. it. So, and did you design their cafe in Kensington Market? 
Yes. So that's how we met. With, they had started Fika and then they didn't, they couldn't finish it. They didn't know how to finish it. Okay. So, did you come up with the idea of the books? Because that is my most. Yeah. I'm always will... like, who came up with this idea? This is genius. And I can't believe it's you. Oh my gosh. I have to add a picture of this to the show notes because every time I go in there, I'm like, I want this in my bakery. This is the best thing ever. This is the coolest thing. And like, tell us about that. It's so cool. Well, that was actually a part of the show by Fix It, Sell It. I had bought, uh, I honestly think I bought four flats of romance novels. And I think I got it for a song. Like if I'm saying I got four. For like $50? Flats, yeah, something so stupid. And I could barely fit all these books in my Jeep at the time. Like it was an insane, I think I had two carfuls of every romance novel. It was insane. And I had them in my basement. I knew I'd do something with them. And when I was at Fika, that back room had a big acoustic problem. Because when you would go into the room, they had a community table, but there was nothing in the room. So people could hear each other's conversations. So... It just hit me when I was there. I was like, if I put something thick and heavy on the wall, it'll kill the acoustics and it'll also give this room some interest. So Tiffany, that was genius. That's like, oh my God. So yeah, that's how it all came to be. And so all the $50 worth of romance novels had a purpose. And so it took a long time to drill through all those books. Yeah, how did you attach them? Do you just... We literally just drilled through books and then we left the open some pages and then glued the pages to cover the, the oh drill holes. Yeah. I love it. And then, okay, tell me. So food changes experiences, like scarves, puzzles. How, how would... Like, where's your inspiration from? Do you find inspiration from like nature art galleries like where do you go to find inspiration um i think one of my favorite places to look for inspiration is i know it sounds crazy but i'm obsessed with international magazines okay i like to see what and not just in decor just international magazines as a whole home decor fashion art politics i don't care I just want to see what other people in the world are doing. And I truly believe that traveling is part of that. But what inspires me is trying new things. More than looking out and seeing what other people are doing, I like to kind of look in and say, okay, what have I done? What hasn't been done? What can I try? And interestingly, I've used this Erica Badu song is like my favorite quote in the world she's got that song that's everything is everything you know that oh, song yeah 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 do you want to sing and, it yeah well we can play it Tell okay. your <laughs> i'll have her play it okay so give us a minute just pretend you're humming to it okay so the reason i say that is because to me everything it's we as human beings are all connected, but creatively, everything is connected. So the puzzles, the scarves, the art, the spaces, the garments, to me, it's all the same. It's all just an offshoot of me creating, playing, assembling, shooting, trying new things, 
and just trying to push the boundary of how people see creativity and art and that no one person or one person's brand belongs in a box and that you can do lots of different things because we're human beings we're supposed to and that's why for me creative creatively i like to try new things because i don't want to be bored i don't want to be bored by constantly doing the same thing if all i ever did was interior design it'd be so sad like these glasses i got to go to pei and meet the company that does this technique and build this frame shape and melt these plastics so these are all acetate frames that existed we chopped them up remelted them and created our own colorful slabs to make these glasses and i had my own eyeglass line with them and just go there and learn about that process and have that experience and create something beautiful and new out of something that was this is sort of the reason i get up in the morning you know this is why the the blood pumps through my heart because there are things to see, there are there's stuff to fuck with, and I want to mess with it, I want to create with it, and I want to create beauty with it. Amen. I love that. And I'm creating, what's that, what does that look like in your kitchen? What's your, your food creativity like? Is that something you do, your husband does, your, what's your okay, taste? So I'm coming clean. Uh-oh. Um, I am, I am a good cook. But I don't like, but I don't (laughs) like, okay, that's fair. You don't have to like to cook. So I, but I will say, um, my special sauce in the kitchen is that I know how things need to be put together. I have without, just like my mom, no ingredients, no recipes. It's all guts for me. I know I like pasta a certain way. I'm a bit of a bougie bitch when it comes time for good ingredient, cook properly, assembled in the right time like you get the grated um, parmesan you grate it yourself oh yeah no no no. i'm grating my own parmesan like i'm doing it right i'm not buying i'm not buying store-bought i'm buying you know fresh from the farmer's market that's my vibe but i like to eat and live simply in the kitchen because i don't for me my time and energy goes into creative projects okay so my creativity isn't necessarily spending time marinating and cooking and preparing an elaborate meal hey you got shit to do you got art to do you got create yeah but my husband i'm newly married and my husband does love to cook he is a very simple cook he doesn't make elaborate meals but he enjoys it so i always have a beautiful home-cooked meal but for me i think food is a loaded thing because over the years i've discovered so many different food allergies that i've had and I think that when you discover food allergies and you have to start eating differently, you have to be really creative Mm -hmm. how you navigate the world. And so that's been my reality is trying to kind of learn over the last 10 years with food allergies, how to navigate the world. And then additionally, to not necessarily look to food for any type of comfort because food has a tendency of being a comfort. Um, Look at it as fuel. And I also love the idea, though, that there are certain things that I'll just never not love. And I, I'm a true New Yorker. Like, I love a good piece of pizza. Like, it's got to be a good slice of pizza. The simple thing. How about a bagel? Um, yeah, I could, do, I could do away with bagels. I don't need them. I think when I think of my, 
most memorable times with food was when I was discovering it for the first time, which is when I got out of the house and I got to Australia. And the food scene in Australia is phenomenal. And the type of food that they have there and how things are grown and everything is double the size and everything's so fresh. I remember taking the bus home from, I actually worked at a place called The Food Game. And my bosses would cook these amazing meals and they had this huge dining room table in the middle of the place and strangers would come and get to choose all these, whatever they wanted. We'd have like seven different types of entrees, all different international dishes. People would come and pick which one they wanted and sit at this big table and eat together. What? And, it was, and just pay it, what they wanted or how did it work? Yeah, they would come up to the this food bar. It was called the food game. And they would come up to a food bar and say, oh, what's on today? Oh, you have a curry. Oh, okay, you're doing a meatloaf. You have this, this. Okay, I'll do a little bit of this, a little bit of this, a little bit of this. Then we would bring it out on a proper plate with cutlery and this big table. So people would eat together That's and have so a beautiful home-cooked meal. Yeah. And through that experience, I understood food in a new way. And they would always pack me up things to go home at the end of the day. And I remember being on the bus. And they packed me up an arugula salad with big chunks of fresh mozzarella, tiny bit of balsamic, and semi-sun-dried tomatoes. I'd never eaten anything like this before in my life. And I remember looking at the salad going, I don't even know if I'm going to like this. And I was having a foodgasm in the back of the bus. The peppery arugula, the incredibly like tender, soft, flavorful mozzarella, the balsamic that wasn't too tart, the sundered tomato. I'm getting that hungry. Yeah, but like that <laughs> sort of stuff where I was learning from that gift, yeah. that experience about food. I and think we have to teach ourselves about food. And what do you think about food as like a gathering or a feast? Like, because food is more than the food. Like you say food for you is a fuel, but what do you think of it as a as a community or a gathering like feature? I think that food always brings people together. Uh, from the design slash food world, we all know that when people get together, they always land in the kitchen. And there's a reason why oh, yeah. people in the kitchen. It's because creating food, cooking food, the smell of food. It's a five sensory experience and we all want to be together feeling those feelings. And so for me, when I think of food, I, I'll i always think of like something like a Thanksgiving where everyone's chipped in to create something and they're all, everyone's together with this dish that they've created. And there's a sense of belonging and community around putting your flavor in on that table. But I have to say that more than more than the food itself, I can taste love. And when someone is cooking, making, baking something with love, it doesn't matter what it is. And so you like I oh my god, I could sit here and talk about a thousand food experiences, but even like a weird taco truck off the side of the street in the middle of nowhere, Mexico, having the most sensational burrito taco of my life because it was made with so much love and intention yeah. and energy and time so i think when i think of community and food and things that bring us together is that the person the people who put that love and that energy into what they're doing 
are feeding more than someone's belly. They're feeding their soul. And when you can come together in a room or in a place of business or at a food truck and you can share that energy with someone, that to me, that's what that's what food is, is an exchange of energy. And I think as a maker of food and having a bakery for so many years, and that's that's the reason why I did it. It was, I, you know, I can make a cake, but I can give you that cake and then you celebrating with your family and getting a note after saying, you know, so nice, we had so much fun, we had such an, a lovely afternoon. That's what brings me the joy is that someone's enjoyed it, shared it, experienced it, and not just used it, you know, as they've used it and valued it. And, and it is made with love. And we've been saying made with love for our products for so many years. And the the podcast is called Culinary Chronicles Made with Love. So I think, yeah, love is the key to like the whole world going around. And your email is love at Tiffany. So like, yeah, I, I completely agree with you on that. And and, and I guess I we chatted so, so greatly. I have one last question, but um, what if you were to have like a dinner party, it could be as fantastical or as chill as, as you wanted like who would you invite and what would you order or serve or get your husband to make I think I would well first of all my favorite part of having people over is the setting because you're you're starting to have an experience before you started to eat well, how would you I, set the table what would be I'd go to value village and I would buy just mix match dishes cutlery plates candelabras and just maximize the crap out of it cloth napkins out of mixed match fabrics and really just go for broke with multiple you know the charger plate the maximal plate the medium plate small plate the bowl so i would go for broke going to like a secondhand shop and just getting a mixed match table set opulent flowers i would put them together myself from some farmer's market i would probably i've done this before but i would probably hire pay friends that are that love to cook um if it's an italian friend i don't care people that love to cook love to put that love in their food and i would i'll cook your next dinner party i'll make the food yes i I don't (laughs) a professional restaurant or a company because i often think when you have people in the kitchen that love to cook that's when the meal is sensational so in the past i've had um two my friends who were from sardinia they came over and made a big Italian feast for a bunch of friends and I when I lived in Connecticut. And still to this day, it was one of the best meals I ever had. Made with so much love and enthusiasm, and it was so joyful. And I would invite anybody I could find that was hungry. Off the street, I would go into anywhere that people are looking for a meal that needed some love. I would invite hungry people that just needed to be somewhere warm and to feel special and to have their tummies warm with food that was made with such pure intention. That's what I would do. I love that. I don't even know what to say. That's so goosebumpy. It's so lovely. Well, I think we all are, um, I think so often that on this big old planet that's spinning around, we take so much for granted. And I think even with food, I when I was at the farmer's market the other morning, the Farmer was telling me that, like, if the potato doesn't look perfect at a grocery store, people don't buy it. I know. But but the potato doesn't have to look a certain way to taste a certain way. And that's so much, that's representation to me of of everything, is that we think things have to look a certain way in, in order to be a certain way. And it's not the case. 
And, uh, and so I think there is so much that we have that we can use and share by way of food. And there is so much food waste. And I think that food should be for everybody. And beauty should be for everybody. And good design should be for everybody. And so when I think of those special experiences, it's always with the people that don't think that they deserve it. Those are the people that need it the most. And deserve it, for sure. And deserve it. Yeah. Well, I think we could talk about food and design and art and fashion and all this fun stuff in the beach. And I think you did shed a little light on the beach because my friends always make fun of me for living in the East End. And I'm like, you don't understand. It's its own little like enclave of crazy, cool, fun stuff and and people's and, and the lake is just so magical. Like you could be oh. it feels like you're in another country some days, like the sunsets and the sunrise and the well, I always tell people if they have a problem with the beach, I'm thrilled. I'm like, great, don't come out here. Leave it to the yeah, people who We love don't it. need any more traffic. We don't need any more traffic. If you don't love it, you don't get it, no problem. Because to me, you don't come here and have a visceral, visceral reaction to that small community feeling that has this walkable quality with Mother Nature surrounding us, with the lake energy. If you don't get that, then this isn't your place and that's okay. Yeah, But for people who get that, and for me, as soon as I moved to Toronto, this is the place. And I haven't been able to budge since because yeah. where I live feeds so much of how I'm able to keep going. If I didn't have my beach walks, if I didn't have my trees so close by, I don't think I would have the energy the way I've had over the years to keep doing what I've done. So where we live and, and where we choose to hang our hat is is a really needs to be an intentional practice because it feeds us. And uh, there's food also that doesn't involve actual, you know, things that go in your mouth. You know, there's things that could feed you that, that nourish you. That. Yeah. yeah. So are you at the beach every day with the dog? Is that? Every day. Nice. Every day, Poppy and I, and Poppy actually plays pickleball. So I bring the pickleball. Wait, how? Oh, with, with you. Okay. Yeah. I, I get the racket out and I, just knock the ball and Poppy goes running. <laughs> the sound, the clinking sound of the ball against the racket gets her going. So, and Poppy's small. She's a miniature dachshund. So she, there's a hole in the pickleball and she puts she her puts tooth, her tooth in, the in it. <laughs> and she's like walking down the beach with her tooth in the hole. Like, and the pickleball's like dangling off the side. It's a comedy show. Can she come to the actual games in the morning or no? She, I, I don't bring her because she'll disrupt the game. She'll chase ladies. the ball. They're very serious. Oh, are they? Okay. Ooh, okay. Yeah, I need serious. to make us pickleball t-shirts. Oh my gosh. I need a pickleball buddy because Margaret is... Well, I actually, know. Margaret twice. She plays twice a day. Margaret, so come She's on. These retired people, they have a one-up on us. I know. But one day we'll be the retired we'll be people the... playing pickleball. <laughs> yeah. Do you think we covered it? I think we did. I wanted to give you a huge thank you. Like, I wish I could reach out and hug you. Thank you for all you've done for our community, the design oh. world, fashion, like female entrepreneurs like me, myself. Mm. Is that right grammatically? Anyway, but yeah, I think you are sprinkling magic and joy and color on this world, which we need. Um, I could go on. I feel like I could just have like a love love fest here. But thank you so much. I've been so grateful to talk to you. And I will see you on the pickleball court. 
And hopefully I can walk on the beach with you because I'm there almost every day. So I don't know how I haven't seen you, but you must be an early bird because of a dog. I'm not there. Early. Yeah, we have different. I always think that if you don't see someone on the beach, you see you have a different time. Different time zone. Yeah, I have school time. school drop offs and then then I beach yep. walk. So I'm I'm later. Yeah, but truly. I hope that we covered it, and I I hope that you feel that I did justice to the merge between the creative world and food for you. I yes. There's okay. like all I wanted to do was chat to amazing females and business owners and people that do cool things. And that's a little bit about food. So it's more about just kind of having a chat and getting to know you more. And I'm glad we've gotten to know you this way because it's hard on television and through Instagram and stuff. So this has been a wonderful chat. And well, I love appreciate you so much. And I'm serious. I really want to have I love vanilla cake. So I really want to. I will make it. And I will bring it. I'll bring you and oh. your mom a piece. Oh, but I'm just saying, I really hope that you and I can sit and chat and yes. enjoy what beautiful pastries together and just get to know each other more. And yeah. I'm so grateful you're in the neighborhood and that your energy is close by me. And equally that you know everything that you've done that's helped so many people. And thank you for brightening everyone's lives and spirits through celebration and sweet, beautiful things. So just know that every day you do what you do, you're helping and changing everything for the positive. So, oh my gosh, was that correct? It's awesome. For the positive. Thank you so much. I will it see you in the podcast. Yes, what? I'm so excited. I'm so excited to have, like, yeah, we're going to dance. We're going to play Erica Badu. Uh, yeah, I'm so excited to have, like, people like you on the show. I'm so happy. It, it's so much fun. You should, you're podcasting, right? I, I did. I'm going to start something new in the Because I was not- clicking on your link. Okay. I was like, cast and yeah your link just yeah, doesn't podcasts, take you. i did three years of it but I, I i stopped during covid because obviously i i wanted people to be in the studio with me yeah and so but i've got something cooking for the new year so stay tuned okay well well and i'll add some of the fabulous links in the show notes and photos of us pickleballing and yes have a wonderful wonderful friday evening thank um, you for your time thank you for yes. your energy thank you for wanting to talk to me I love and appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank okay. you. Okay. Okay. Ciao, ciao, Lisa. Ciao, ciao. Hey, thanks for tuning into this episode of Culinary Chronicles Made with Love. Before you go, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting app. For more information on the show, visit ladolce.com. And for more behind the scenes, follow me on Instagram at Lisa Sanguidolce.